Is everyone ready to embark on this journey before I do the intro? Emotionally, spiritually, yes. <laughs> I have a quart's worth of coconut-based electrolytes and nutrients, so Ooh. I'm going to be fine. You're good. Welcome to Tortal Recall, a podcast where we reread the Tortal books and yell about them. Today, we're reading <laughs> Trickster's Choice, the first book in a uh, set of two books that might have a wider name, but I don't know what it is. Anyway. You remembered. It's Daughter of the Lioness. I looked it up. I hate that. Okay, cool. We should talk about that later. I feel like I always hear people call it, like, Trickster's Duet or something. I asked Wikipedia because it doesn't have spoilers except for for the first book. I don't believe Wikipedia. No one calls it that. (laughs) I think I don't like that name for the... What do you call something that's not a trilogy? Is it a duet? Duology. Duology would be normal, yeah. Okay, of Mm. the duology, I think Daughter of the Lioness is a bad name. I agree. I mean, I agree with that. I'm just telling you what Wikipedia told me. Please. We have to introduce ourselves. <laughs> That's fair. Anyway, uh, so welcome. We're going to read the first book of that set. Um, my name's Aurora, and my pronouns are she, her. I'm Abby, and my pronouns are she, her. I'm Amy, and my pronouns are she, her. And I'm the only person who doesn't start their name with an A. I'm Kelly, and my pronouns are she, her. Great, so that's all of us. Okay, Kelly, do you have a question for us today? Yeah, if you were a super awesome, super cool spy, what would you like? want your super cool special spy skill to be? Ooh. Oh, that's true, because Allie has her, like, low-key actual powers. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that seems like such a good power. Like, honestly, her powers are cooler to me than just, like, regular magic powers that also exist in this universe. Her yeah, powers yeah. are pretty neat. Pretty They're just, cool. like, taking something that people already kind of can do, like, you know, having good vision or maybe being able to tell if people are kind of lying a little bit, mm-hmm. and then just makes them more, which is a neat way to do she's magic. She's literally a super spy. She's a super she spy. has a super power of spying. <laughs> we should probably talk about what her powers actually are before we start talking about how much we love them. Favorite spying skill? That's the question, if we want to answer questions. Um, Mm -hmm. Go for it, Abby. Okay. If we get to have, like, a... Okay, this is kind of a cop-out, because we're all, like, linguists, mostly. But... (laughs) Like, if I could have a superpower, like Allie has, for spying, it would definitely just be, like, understanding languages and or codes. Yeah, that was my two. (laughs) It was all of ours. Let's, like... Let's be real. <laughs> okay, if I could make up my own, though, it would be to be very lithe in such a way that I could go through those crossbeam lasers that are at art museums. Ooh, that's, that's a pretty good skill. I was just going to be basic and say I want to be super good at lockpicking. Oh, good. <laughs> oh, I also want that. That is kind of a skill that I like want to learn in real life. The laser one, I think, would be less applicable. <laughs> <laughs> less applicable but what it is applicable 
You really need it. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> Anytime you want to rob a museum. <laughs> like Jewel Thief. <laughs> Don't worry about it. Adrian's going to pay for my retirement. <laughs> hey, I mean, I would. <laughs> Thanks. Oh, I appreciate it. That's really Aww. sweet. Yeah, how um, much is the Hope Diamond going for these days? A lot. <laughs> like, I, I, well, I mean, it's in the Smithsonian, so how would you, isn't it, I think? So, like, does it even have a price if it's not going to be sold? That's a weird path to go down on this episode about a, <laughs> a fantasy book. <laughs> anyway, it would be the perfect crime. I'm buying all of you retirements. This is a weird road we're going down. This is Turtle Recall Nights. <laughs> it is the night. Okay. Kelly, what's your spy skill? Um, I would like to be like a really like super good spy actress who could like super convincingly have a bunch of different personas. Ooh. That's also really good. Oh. Mm-hmm. Like the sophisticated lady and then like uh-huh. I don't know, like the street rat. Oh, it would be so cool. I'd be totally convincing. Yeah, you want to be good at improv. Yes, I want to be really good at improv. <laughs> and LARPing. <laughs> and LARPing, precisely. Oh, that's so excellent. Oh, I love this. This is mm-hmm. a good question. Thank you. Yeah, Kelly, you have excellent questions. <laughs> okay, so we're going to now move on to our first section, I think, which is called First Adventure, and that is our background with the book. Abby, would you like to start? Okay, so my background with this book, I, I, I'm i not exactly sure how old I read it. I think approximately like the target age. It's a little more of a YA book than the previous ones, I think. And so maybe I was like a little bit young for it, but I, I read it at approximately the right age. It was definitely my favorite of all of the Tortal books for like a good few years. But I haven't reread it as much as I reread the Kel ones. So I like mostly just had very fond memories of it up until we started doing this podcast, and then I got very <laughs> nervous <laughs> about potential issues with rereading it and revisiting it. And honestly, um, not as bad as I was worried it would be, but we can get into that later. <laughs> totally, no, no, fair point. Kelly, would you like to go next? Yeah, sure. I think, like Abby, I also read it when I was a little bit older than the other books. I just took the publication date, and it was 2003. In my head, like, it came out right before I read it, but I guess I just found out about it later. Um, Similarly, I think I only read it, like, once or twice. I do remember liking it, though. It was probably, like, my second or third favorite series. (laughs) We're just mixed up in all the others. Um, but I didn't really have very many specific memories of it, so it was also kind of a uh, fun surprise when I read back through it. Mostly I remembered uh, Crow Man, which we're going to Oh my get god. Later. <laughs> Boy, Crow. <laughs> <laughs> Mr. Crow. Please move on from this for now. I'm so ready. Uh, oh, Amy, what do we do for you in this section? Oh, I just say whatever I want. (laughs) (laughs) Hi, I haven't read these books before. I'm the token person who hasn't read these. And so what I knew about Allie before reading this was, one, recently, through friends talking, found out she was the daughter of the lioness. Two, was pretty sure she had knives. 
Three. <laughs> uh, three. One time, Kelly and I were getting breakfast, and she drew all of the pro- Tordal protagonists on the back of a piece of paper I had, and <laughs> one of them was a swaddled infant with a bird next to her. <laughs> why is- <laughs> said why is that and she said you'll see <laughs> that's so good I forgot. that's perfect this picture is one of the first tweets on our twitter Tordal really? recall oh that's excellent oh my goodness kelly I forgot that I did this. I'm so sorry for secretly spoiling you. Oh my god. <laughs> I really only realized that like a couple of days ago, so it's fine. I'm curious how you knew about the knives, because she definitely does have knives, but like where did you learn that? I wish I could tell you. It was just a feeling, you know? Sure. Maybe I drew knives next to the baby. <laughs> <laughs> That sounds right, honestly. Uh, while Kelly is looking this up, I will Sorry. briefly go over my background. <laughs> so I think I read these in a similar age to y'all. I was like 15, 14, 15. And I like really love these. Because, you know, magic, super cool female characters, lots of snark. And Allie was like right about my age when I read it. Mm-hmm. Um, but then I reread this one a lot. And then each time I reread it, I became like slightly more critical as I, like, mm-hmm. got older and learned more about the world. But I think I definitely still enjoyed it each time I read it. And even this time. That's good. So, that was good. Kelly, did you find it? I, I did find it. I'm trying to figure out how to share it with you guys. Um. Uh, we'll post a link on the episode page to this excellent tweet. Mm-hmm. Okay, in any case, I'm going to move us on to our next section, which is called First Test in which we provide a brief, or not so brief, plot summary <laughs> of these books. Um, does anyone have a plot summary on hand? I feel like you usually are the one with the good plot summary. I mean, I do have a plot summary, but I wanted to check first. <laughs> no, go for it. Okay, so I actually have two, because it really depends how you want to frame it. Mm-hmm. But, so, the first plot summary is, Allianne, which, by the way, is a ridiculous name, um, <laughs> of Pirate Swoop, who is the most well-connected child in all of Torquay, <laughs> is con- uh, kidnapped by t- pirates and sold as a slave to an exiled, royally-connected family in a foreign land. Quickly drawn into the schemes of the god uh, Kiprioth, Ali is entrusted the safety of the family she serves, helping to protect them against misogyny and power-hungry white men, eventually finding her way into what appears to be the beginnings of a rebellion against an oppressive colonialist power. Um... Now, that's a very Allie-centric summary, and that's something we should talk about later as, you know, maybe one of the issues with this book. So I have a second summary. (laughs) Nice. Okay. Which I reframe it, which I will probably cut out from the podcast. But my second summary is, in the beginnings of an effort to upend the racial, colonial, imperialist oppression of his people, um, Kiprioth, the trickster and patron god of... um, the Copper Isles enlists Elliot of Pirate Swoop to help protect a family that is central to his plans. Along with some super kick-ass Raka co-conspirators, Raka are the people of Kiprioth. They're the native people of the Copper Isles. Native people of the Copper Isles, yes, thank you. Um, uh, along with 
super kick-ass Raka co-conspirators who have, for a really long time, way longer than Allie, been working towards this. Uh, Allie helps protect the family for a summer, falling in love with a crow in the process. Weird. <laughs> I don't know. True? Yes. <laughs> I like that summary because it frames Kiprioth as the protagonist. But then throws in the chroma romance at the end, just so, like, we're all the on the same romance. page. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> God. Yeah, so those are those are my summaries. Um, I'm sure I miss things. Yeah, no, you got the, the basics, though, I think. Allie, Allie has spy skills. She makes a wager with a god to keep these kids alive. And then she does it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> And then her dad has to come get her, and then she sends him home. Oh, that's true. I didn't even mention her parents. I guess they're weirdly central to this story for people that don't spend much time in it. They are, yeah. I mean, it's wild, like, how much this book is both unconnected from events happening in Tortal and also the most fan service of any (laughs) book in this universe. It's so true. But, like... To be completely honest, I loved that about the book when I read it as a kid. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I still enjoyed it now, honestly. Like, uh, you know, I can see how it would make it less accessible, potentially, to people who hadn't read the other books. Although, I don't even know if that's true, because sometimes it can be fun to, to read a book that takes place in a very, like, built-up world, even if you're not if you're, you're not previously acquainted with the world. But, like, yeah, even on this read, I really enjoyed learning what Dane and Kel were up to, even though it was not relevant to the plot at all. <laughs> Kel and Ymir are having a baby. The baby's a shapeshifter. That's fun. We got to see that. Incredible. Yeah, I also, I just want to say, like, really quickly, I kind of really like Pierce's weird parent-child relationships that she writes. Like, I'm a big fan of that. And also, you never get parents in YA. And I know that this had a lot of parents in YA, partially because the parents were two of the people, first people she wrote about. <laughs> but, I mean, like, we started to see that in Kel, too. And I just, yeah. I like it. Yeah, and I think that even, um, I mean, I can't swear to this, I don't actually remember what order I read these books in, really. It, like, if I had read the whole Alana series before I read this. Um, I had definitely read the Kel series before, though, so I had, like, met Alana. But I do think that even if you hadn't read previous series like having Alana and George there as like interesting complex characters does add to the book I feel like we see a side of them that's very different from the one we often see like we see like tired middle-aged Alana yeah Um, yeah we also are edging into the next segment I think with this conversation oh that is true shall we just slide on over yeah we're gonna Uh, slide into our next section called Run the Dominion Jewels, in which we discuss plot and world building. Oh, can I add one more thing about the, like, flashbacks before we move on? Yeah, yeah, go for it. It really reminded me of, like, at the beginning of the Dane books, where it was like, oh yeah, and here are all these other people. Suddenly they're Dane's best friends. It was like the same thing here. I'm best friends with all the other cool people in (laughs) Tortle. The most hilarious thing to me was, was Allie saying, all the interesting men were born in the previous generation. Because it's just all the men that she knows are previous characters in, the, in previous books. It's true, but yeah. also she is friends with all of the most famous men in the yeah. like, her whole country. <laughs> so, like, obviously that's what she thinks. Yeah. But also Allie is very, like, hashtag not like other girls sometimes. Oh, for that, sure. That kind of backed it up. I mean, but... that's a whole other topic to get into. <laughs> yeah, that's true. 
Gosh, but yeah, I just really liked having like this uh, completely unnecessary wider scope of the world. (laughs) I think a way that that was done really well, though, was in the epigraphs that opened each chapter, Mm -hmm. especially when you got to compare like George's book that he wrote, which also congratulations, George, (laughs) on writing the whole book. I know that's tough. (laughs) But also like compared to like the advice he'll give to Allie. Mm-hmm. And like, it's just so interesting. I really like the epigraphs. Although on the topic of Alana and George's parents, why did George keep giving Allie spy, like spy textbooks <laughs> from the age of six onward? If he didn't want her to become a spy, right? Why did he give her all of the tools? <laughs> like, right. I mean, I can see it. Like when she was six, and he was like, you know, she was interested in what the work that he did, and he was doing it as like a fun thing. But then he kept encouraging her, even though he didn't want her to be a spy. That was a weird parenting choice, George. Yeah, George. I also really liked. Like, I feel like going back to what you were saying, Amy. Like Tamara Pierce's like organization of her like world has gotten so much better. Like. I just really like that she put dates on this book, like she did in the last mm-hmm. telebook. Like, it really helps me keep track of the timeline. Oh, speaking of that, I don't, we're not really going in much of an order here. Oh, absolutely. Go for it. Don't worry about it. Okay. Um, speaking of dates, I just wanted to shout out, this is kind of an imperialism thing, but I think it goes in world building also, that she, they give a specific date for the year that uh, Barzoon, the country to the south of Tortal, was conquered by Tortal and assimilated into Tortal. And that date is 378 HE, or about 80 years before the start of Ali, which means that it was like 30 years before George was born, I think, which also means that like like, Miles was probably, might have been alive at the time that this other country, Barzoon, existed. And, like, definitely, even as of Ali, there are people in Tortal who remember the time when they, like, were citizens of this other country. Which is, like, wild context. <laughs> like, in the Alana books, there must have been so many people who, like, thought of themselves as Barzunian. Bar- Barzunian. <laughs> No, I, like, I'm just so fascinated by the fact that, like, a generation before the start of the Alana books, this entire other country got assimilated into Tortal, and, like, we don't know anything about it. Uh, TP. <laughs> There's a lot of good world-building in this book, just generally. You should talk about the next topic that I want to talk about. That is fantasy foods. And, like, where are we? Okay, so we're in Indonesia. Yeah, so... That, that was what I got also, but it did seem a little, it seemed less obviously just Indonesia to me than, uh, than Carthax seemed just Egypt, but only like a little. So I just need to raise, this is like edging into fast biology, mm-hmm. but in the Dane books, I complained a lot about the Copper Isles because Dane said in the cop, like iguanas came from the Copper Isles and mm-hmm. her pygmy marmoset came from the Copper Isles. Both those things are from either, like, Central or South America, like, in the Amazon Basin for the Pygmy Marmoset. Um, Yet, there are crows in the Copper Isles, and there are no crows in the New World south of the United States. So this is not South America. (laughs) And also, there are no 
there are no pygmy marmosets or iguanas in Indonesia. There are not. There are not. <laughs> Kelly, I can't believe you prepared an entire uh, presentation where everything is strung together with various wires, and you're now standing in the background <laughs> with a large pointer <laughs> and undoing your necktie while you yell about the new world. That is precisely what is happening. See, the magic of podcast medium Amy has described the same for Our resident biology professor, Kelly. (laughs) But so, yes, I do believe that this is Southeast Asia somewhere and not, as Tamar Pierce may have previously led to believe, a group of islands that represented all of South and Central America. (laughs) Good times. It's so valuable to have a biologist here. Oh, can we also, as long as we're on this topic... Can we talk about the fact that winged horses are apparently native to this biome? Oh, so cool. I loved it. (laughs) I love the winged horses. I could, like, speculate about that, Hmm. but I don't think I have a really good speculation. So let's just enjoy it. There's pretty high biodiversity in the tropics, so Mm -hmm. winged horses could fit in there. They're small. They've really diversified, as tropical things do. I thought it was so cool that they came in various different sizes. Yeah. And that there were tiny ones and really huge ones. Miniature winged horses. It's yeah. so good. Good. It's good. It makes me very emotional for reasons I don't understand to imagine just a <laughs> miniature pony with the wings. It's uh, pretty good. It's amazing. Yeah, I made a, a list of just, like, world building in this book that I thought was rad, and that was, like, the number one item was winged horses of different sizes. Mm-hmm. Extremely good. Abby, I want to hear more of your list. Okay. I can, I can just give you the list. I don't, have, yeah, I don't actually have, like, things to say about most of these things. I just thought they were cool. So, the list is winged horses, uh, magic bright blue hair dye, uh, <laughs> Alana polishing the top of her sword blade so she can use it to scry. Um, yeah. <laughs> the the spells that they have that are the essence based spells that are like basically like DNA and Allie using the inside of a glove to unlock a box that was awesome. <laughs> Super cool. Um, also, the mention of lawyer priests I just thought was fun. <laughs> that's the whole list except also um trickster gods you guys i just love trickster gods so much also also i just well there's so many things about him i think Mm -hmm. i have in my notes somewhere that uh how i don't know how we say his name kyprioth kyprioth i feel like i wrote that kyprioth is a fancy boy and then i just wrote one of his quotes which was sausage is not food for the gods and i thought it was hilarious (laughs) If he could shop somewhere, you know where it would be. <laughs> Is it William Sonoma? <laughs> he has a fancy boy. He shops at William Sonoma. William Sonoma. Oh my god. He would not use a carrot peeler to peel some yams. <laughs> Abby, there's a really good song called Fancy Boy, which if you haven't heard it, I will also send. Sounds great. Have lyrics aside from "I am a fancy boy." I shop at William Sonoma. <laughs> okay. Can you? Can I use a carrot peeler <laughs> to peel some yams? No, you're no, not you're fancy. fancy. You just don't, don't understand. understand. <laughs> great. Oh god. No, and the thing about uh, Kiprioth, our favorite fancy boy, is that he's also like he has the best 
oh, I'm going to kill my neighbor. Was that anyway, piano? Uh, that Crimes was that we're going to confess guitar. to on our, wife, on our podcast. A of all, stealing the Hope Diamond. B of all, murdering Aurora's neighbor. <laughs> um, in any case, so Kiprioff, he he has the best banter with um, Allie. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like, she just takes none of his ridiculousness. Mm-hmm. And yeah. also, at that one point when he's, like, giving... He's showing Allie, like, the, the kingship as it's passed down, and um, the other two great gods just, like, pop in, and Allie mm-hmm. kicks him, and I love it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's yeah. extremely good. <laughs> I mean, I love, like, Allie's a really good continuation of just the, like, not respecting God's agenda, which I love in these books in general, <laughs> but, like... Uh, but yeah, I don't know, Kiprioth is great because he's, he's like a quote-unquote great god, but he's also, like, very anti-establishment and extremely willing to, like, banter with her and, like, not be respected, and it's really good. <laughs> mm-hmm. I have a theory that he's best friends with the graveyard hag, or the graveyard hag hates him. No, and they mentioned that they have a, they have a bet over uh the king they th- i think that he bet that the king yes. was gonna die of one like a stroke or something and she bet that he was gonna die of a heart attack or something like that oh, i think she bet he was gonna get murdered no oh, i think i forgot that i think no, that it, it was his heart or his uh well ultimately it was his brain is that called epilepsy yeah um, yeah Ap- apoplexy yeah, but, but i think the graveyard hag bet that he was gonna die of heart attack because then kiprioth said uh, like, she never should have bet that Ritavon Kings had a heart or something like that. That was very good. Oh, I forgot. Oh, God. She's coming back. I can feel it in my bones. <laughs> I love that they're, yeah, they're just really oh, great frenemies. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's good. Ugh, so excellent. Yeah, mm. I feel like just in general, the world building in this book was, like, so many levels of really interesting Mm-hmm. I think part of that could just be because she's working mm-hmm. in a world that she's been working in before, so she already has kind of like this whole stage set, and now she can just kind of have fun and do whatever she wants in there. Mm-hmm. I'm talking about Tamara Pierce, the author who we promise not to resurrect unless <laughs> <laughs> unless I choose to. Speaking of cool world building, it's now a good time to talk about Ellie's super special cool spy magic. Yes, definitely. She has super cool special spy magic. <laughs> Allie has a real life night vision that's just attached to her. <laughs> yeah, she she has. I mean, so she has night vision. She can tell when people are lying or if they're sick or pregnant. She can tell if food is poison. She's like a bunch more stuff. Also, she can tell if someone's a god. She has like Legolas eyes. <laughs> oh my god, she does have Legolas eyes. She does have Legolas eyes. <laughs> oh, good. I mean, I, I feel like at some point we'll have to point out that Allie is too ridiculously good at everything in addition to being, like, the perfect spy. Okay, so the problem with that, though, is that I love her, and yeah. I don't think it's possible. Like, there's a lot of stuff in this book that I don't love. I do love Allie and the fact that she has spy-based powers and has never done anything wrong. Did we know before this book that, like, George had the sight? I don't remember that, but I might have just forgotten. Yeah, it's a thing that they, like, yeah, it's it's definitely come up before. I felt like early on, Tamara Pierce didn't, like, super have her world building worked out necessarily, and it seemed like 
like, early on it was mentioned that George had the sight, and then I think later it was sort of implied that it was just, like, a general purpose magical gift, but, like, now it's back to being the sight, and I think that's really cool. <laughs> like, that there are different types, you don't, like, you can just have the gift for magic, but you can also have, like, this really specific, small, but very useful magic, and I'm very into that. But yeah, I think in the Alana series it's mentioned that George has the sight, and it's, like, not super elaborated on what that is, so now we know what it is, and that's cool. No, and I love that, so, like, Allie has the sight from her dad, but she, mm-hmm. she says that she got, like, the strength of her magic from her mom. Right. So it's, like, the sight, but, like, super extra. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Really good. She's so good. Yeah. Like, is the problem. I <laughs> is that a problem? <laughs> it's not. I mean, so Allie is really good, but also so many of the, like, I don't want to call them supporting characters, because they're all super, super rad. Um, but a lot of the other characters in these books are amazingly cool. Yeah, definitely. Like yeah. both of the girls, the Duchess, all of the um, all of the other kind of co-conspirators. They're amazing. I think I don't know if this is true for you guys. The co- the back of my of the cop of my copy of the book has the tagline: "The future is in the hands of the next generation." And then it says, like, Allie, the slave with the talents of a master spy. Sarai, a passionate, charming teenage noblewoman. Dove, the younger sister of Sarai. I don't know if that's how we're pronouncing her name. And then, <laughs> Nalwat, a magical young man with a strangely innocent outlook and an even stranger past. <laughs> it kind of sets it up like those four are, like, equal main characters, which is not true. Allie's the main character of this book. But... Dove and Sarai should be the main characters of this book. Uh Uh-huh. I feel like that's something we're going to touch on every, like, five minutes or so. So, can we talk about the crows? Uh (laughs) Can we do it now, or do we want to wait till characters? I think we're in characters. Cool, 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 cool. So I just wanted to say, Amy, I've literally been waiting for you to read this book since we decided to make this podcast. (laughs) Yep. Yeah. We sure did. Yep. We, you know, I read it now. I, so, Nawat is a crow. Yeah. And also a boy. Yeah. He's a crow boy. He's a raven boy. The amount, the amount that he is just a crow in a human body is both amazing and yeah. terrifying. Apparently, this is a thing that all crows can do at will. Like, that's a whole other question. And they just choose not to. But, okay, can I just, like, really, I just need to say, Nawat is just a crow in a human's body to an extent that I don't think that you will understand without reading this book. (laughs) He, like, there's a, there's, he's just like, what if I chewed up bugs and put them in your mouth, Allie? And Allie's like, (laughs) you know, maybe. No shade, people eat bugs, but not quite the way that maybe he's eating bugs. I'm not concerned about the fact that it's bugs, Kelly. <laughs> okay. I'm concerned about the mate-feeding <laughs> aspect. We'll save that for quick. So we, we do have a segment for this that, <laughs> that comes later. I'm sorry. As you said, Amy, he's like very crow. He's very much just, he's a crow. <laughs> but Allie is also super into that. She's into that, man. Allie is so into it in a way that like... <laughs> Okay, okay, okay. You know what? You know what? Abby was right. Abby was right. Abby was right. We can't. We, we can't do. do this. 
We have another. I, I know it's hard to hold it in. in like that segment comes pretty late in the podcast. Okay, we're gonna we're gonna put a pin in this. Is it piercing the veil? It's uh, yeah. Well, it's within piercing the veil. We haven't done it for a while. We do have a subsection specifically called "Shame That Kink," which was created for this purpose. We will not actually do shaming. We will just be coping with. We will that just discuss. Kink. Yes. Okay, well, for now, we just brought up it's world building. Crows can turn into people here in this world. Mm. Uh, <laughs> I feel like this is a good place to segue into Kelly, your uh, very fast or not so fast bio and crow facts. Cool, 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 cool. So, we already covered the first part of fast bio, which is even though Tamara Pierce has previously suggested this could be South America. It is not. It must be Southeast Asia because there are no crows in South America and crows are very important here. Um, the specific type of crow that Nawa is is probably a large-billed crow, which is a species of crow native to East and Southern Asia. Um, I couldn't find a whole bunch of specific facts about the large-billed crow, but I found a lot of facts about the American crow behavior, which I think is probably generalizable across crows. So large-billed crows actually will eat anything, not just like bugs that Nawa was eating. They do a lot of scavenging and eat a lot of carrion, but that's like not so cute or so sexy for tomorrow here's <laughs> like bugs are. So he wasn't like digging through any corpses or like eating small frogs and mice like crows do or trash. So um. <laughs> that's good. Um, general crow behavior, Nawa like steals some hairpins because crows like shiny things. In the wild, apparently crows don't actually really like shiny things that much. That's sort of a domesticated crow behavior. So, crow fact, myth busted. Crow myth busted. Nala <laughs> um, does, like, a lot of reference to, like, courtship feeding. With Allie, he wants to uh, eat up some bugs and put them in her mouth. That's something that it seems like a lot of birds do, but generally they actually do after, like, the birds have made it, during, like... Mm gestation and incubation periods to sort of provide more nutrients for the female crow so probably i want to say that's nice it is nice but like probably a little bit too early in their relationship <laughs> the faces everyone is making on this what crows do do when they're courting other crows is like perform a courtship dance where they kind of puff up their feathers and like lean down in front of the female crow and like hop around. So really sad that Tamara Pierce didn't have Nawat like do that. <laughs> it would have been really in character. Yeah, honestly, we can write fan fiction about that. I'm guessing it just happened off screen. Yeah, it probably happened off screen. And they do oh. do a lot of preening, but it seems like that is probably also. From what I could find quickly on the internet, that's probably also between, like, established crow pairs, so maybe also a little bit early in their relationship. But crows do appear to mate for life, so, you know, that's very consistent with what he's proposing. And they're also very pro-social. They form, like, large groups, as we know, murders of crows, that are usually a breeding pair and a family group around them that's sort of cooperative, which is pretty cool and not really exactly related to this. So, um... That's your cool crow fact. Crows are really cool. I'm sad that Nala is not rummaging through trash and doing cool breeding dances, but whatever. Honestly, that would make me like him a lot more. Oh, totally. (laughs) (laughs) I say that like it's a joke, but it's really not. Oh, also, I just want to bring up something that we were sussing out kind of in our our group chat 
prior to this, which is, 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 is Allie cradle robbing? Yeah. Okay. Should we? Well, okay. I guess this is crow biology, sort of, technically. So Noah does say at one point that he's less than a month old. I'm pretty sure that has to be a joke because I think at that point he's been human for about a month or yeah. more than a month. I think so, that's his human age, not his crow age. Which is reassuring. I think it must be true as well because, so crows reach sexual maturity at about one year, like most birds, and they only get their adult plumage probably at about six months or so. Um, mm. And when she meets him, he already has his adult plumage because Tamara Pierce didn't describe him as like scraggly. She described him as like a normal sized normal crow. Um, <laughs> and he like harassed the um, the mage, Achubo is her name maybe, like way before that. And I feel like he probably would have at least have to be like capable of flight by the time he did that. So that was probably several months before that. So I would put him at least at sexual maturity. I mean, hopefully. <laughs> God damn it. I can't <laughs> believe we're be. talking about this. It could be a Renesme situation. <laughs> no, oh, it couldn't. We're not even going there. <laughs> also, crows live to be about eight to ten years, so is that how long Nala's going to live? Is he like oh one year old after he's ten years in human life? I don't know. I don't know, man. Oh my god. Wait, is that... Okay. It does seem like it would be weird if crows could, like, turn from crows into humans, but, like, would live way longer when they were humans, and they would, like, choose not to do that. So, like, yeah. Is it about the years in your life or the life in your years? You're (laughs) trash if you're a crow. Okay, but why wouldn't every crow, like, when they got to be elderly, just turn into a person, like, before dying? Yeah, and if they did, would they be eight human years, or would they be, like, 80 human years? I think it's pretty clear that they are going to be 80 years. Yeah, because now one is, like, 16. Yeah, that's yeah. true. So I'm not really sure how he hacked that one, but... <laughs> Potentially he could have been, like, two, two crow years old, because apparently crows often wait, like, male crows often wait a couple of years to breed because of that cooperative breeding thing. So he could have waited past his, like, first breeding season and not bred and then been, like, two years old and then been, like, about 16 in human years. If you assume people live to 80, he'd be, like, two, eight years per human year, crow year. Anyway. <laughs> I actually really love the concept of, like, crows could, like, crows that were able to turn from crows to humans and back, but they would not, like, adjust to the appropriate age. So it would just be, like... A six-month-old crow turning into a baby. (laughs) (laughs) God, can you imagine, like, you're able to do stuff and, like, fly and have thoughts and speak a language, which also, let's talk about these crows' languages in a second, and then suddenly you have to be a human infant, a useless, wiggly human infant for at least another six months? I mean, that would explain why most crows don't do it. Yeah. It really would. It would, again, make Nawat's situation impossible for me to understand with my <laughs> limited brain. Yeah. I've got to expand this thing to even begin to wrap around it. Maybe if you become a crow, you'll just sort of incorporate that, like, perspective, and you'll just, like, expand your brain. Human brain plus crow brain. I'm so glad you offered that. <laughs> to be fair, this is... Uh... 
This is like sword times, fantasy times, magic times. <laughs> so, um, crow biology might be slightly a little bit different in fantasy times. Whatever. Are you I know, I know, I know. Could be a Renesmee situation. I mean, also, I'm going to use this as a pivot, but crows, apparently, can speak every animal language, which I think is cray. But Kelly, can you comment on this? Because is that as wild as I think it is? Um, it's wild. Also, one another thing I just looked it up. Apparently, American crows can live to be 20 years old. So I got my age. Whoa. Well. Sorry. I asked, oh. I asked a bird expert, like, when I was out in the field with them, when Amy was texting me about this. Um, I got the wrong age. So, no, crows cannot speak every language. That is incorrect. <laughs> I'm going to that right now. Uh, so, animals, you guys are linguists. I used to study animal communication along with Shelby, who may come help me out on this a little bit in TRR, but animals don't speak language in the same way that humans speak language. They can have, right, like, specific sounds that they make that are sort of, like, symbolic potentially of some things like they're known to be I don't do this really vaguely because my memory is really hazy but like you know some animals may have alarm calls for specific predators and things like that uh, but I don't think we're really looking at anything as specific as was suggested in this book and corvids like crows are really smart um, and potentially I think would be capable of like doing more complex communication but not exactly what we're looking at here mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so, like, not only did they speak to other animals, which yeah, not would possible. require, yeah, a level <laughs> of communication that's way, 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 way beyond them, but they could also speak to the um, winged horses, which aren't even yeah. animals. They're, like, magic animals from the sky that haven't yeah. been around for a while. Animals can cue into what each other are saying. Like, for example, hmm. there are a whole bunch of bird species that engage in sort of mixed species flocking. Um, where, like, multiple birds of different species will hang out together and forage together. And there's been research done that sort of shows that, like, for example, chickadees are really good at, like, giving out alarm calls when these groups, and the other birds sort of listen in, and if a chickadee gives an alarm call, they'll also scatter. But they can't, like, say things to the chickadee, and the chickadee understand them. So we don't really understand that quite the same way as communication. It's not necessarily purposeful. It's more like passive cueing in to what's happening. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. In the universe, there is some precedent for different animals talking to each other in the Dane books, though, right? I think in the Dane books, all the other animals can talk to each other, basically. Right. But, they, yeah, they don't... I feel like they don't even use, like, language. Like, the crows specifically in this book are specified as, like, ha- like they use their voices to talk. And I feel like in the Dane books, it was more portrayed as animals just, like... Telepathy. Reading each other's thoughts. Yeah. Ah. Uh, at some point in this book, they, they referred to it as, like, animal language. And mm. I just a part of my brain just broke a tiny bit. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like it was easier to accept with Dane because she just obviously has magic that allows her to talk to every animal. So you're just like, okay, it's magic. But then this book is like, no, crows, like, have words for numbers. And Allie's learning them. And it's a lot. Yeah, especially because, like, as... In my linguistics education, I had it explained to me for nearly every species of animal that what they were doing was not technically language on par with humans. Mm -hmm. So I do have an immediate response to any animal language uh, claim, but just animal language for all animals is a lot. 
Yeah, that's common wisdom in animal behavior, too, is that animals don't have language. I did air quotes there. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I think, I think, Kelly, do you have any more bio things? No, I think that's good for bio. Probably before the next episode, I might look up a little bit more about crow communication so that any crow <laughs> experts out there won't come. <laughs> knocking on our door. Nice. Well, they probably will because there will be two weeks between episodes. That's but... true. Well, feel free to email. I love hearing cool crow facts. Mm-hmm. Don't we all? Um, then I'm going to use this to transition from, you know, like animal linguistics, except <laughs> not really linguistics, because fantasy linguistics, mm-hmm. into actual linguistics. Uh-huh. Well, actual fantasy linguistics. <laughs> okay, actual fantasy linguistics. No, but I thought this had some of the more interesting things related to language and like a very... This book was very aware of like language and language politics in a way yeah. that you often don't see in fantasy books from this time okay I can't generalize but I haven't read a lot of books that do this and I thought that was actually really refreshing yeah I thought it was it was a nice departure from just like everyone speaks common like shrug moving on you know Mm -hmm. Um, and you got that moment between so there was a time when Allie was speaking to the duchess um in Cyprian Kiprish I think it kept yeah. pr- yes and the small child um one of the children was like mom why are you talking like that that's that's what the raka do and then the duchess said you know the raka are people too like we honor them by learning their language this is their <laughs> land um and then ali thinks about how she like doesn't have time to discuss the language of like conquest so like linguistic imperialism to a four-year-old and that's the most like in-depth discussion i've heard about language dynamics and power dynamics in a book and i was like wow cool good job tp yeah Yeah. it was so fast but it's also like you never get that like you never get like a frank acknowledgement of the fact that like language is part of colonialism exactly and like the amount of good you can do by learning other people's languages I think is super important and it's nice that that was acknowledged here. Yeah, so I thought that was cool. And I thought it was very funny that Allie apparently... Well, okay, weird that she knows all the languages, like... I don't know if she knows all the languages. She knows, like, this specific language. But it was also hilarious to me that she, like... She didn't even try to, like, put on a Tortolan accent (laughs) while trying to pretend to be a... Tallinn maid who just happened to get caught. Yeah, apparently she just had a very good accent from another one of the islands. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Which, like, that's a cool little detail. Also, why would she know the language in the first place if she'd just gotten caught as, like, a normal Tortallin maid? There's no... Yeah, she just, like, had a line where she was like, oh, no one was even wondering why she spoke Kipperish that well. And, like, <laughs> and it's like, they were. The one skill she doesn't have is self-awareness. Like, come up with a story. <laughs> Say, like, my uncle, like, lived in the Copper Isles for a while and, like, taught well, me or something. Least, like... I think the actual excuse she gave was like, "Oh, you know, Queen Thayet did all those schools." <laughs> I think that was. I think that was more of an explanation for like her knowing facts about history or something. But yeah, her cover story was not strong. <laughs> like, she's so good at most aspects of spying. <laughs> this is kind of a side note, but I really liked the um, the like 
repeated thing in this book where, like, Allie would think, like, oh, the, the, like, rocket conspirators are, like, so bad at deception or, like, deflecting questions or, like, I need to teach Dove how to eavesdrop better. But then also, like, the, the Racco were doing that to her. Yeah. <laughs> like, telling her, like, just so you know, slaves don't usually know that much about history. <laughs> it was great I mean I feel like half of it was she's not like one of her biggest faults is she's not very self aware Mm -hmm. and the other half oh I had a really good other half but it just left my brain oh no she's not self aware and maybe that she was unrealistically too good at everything but in any case like Allie is like hashtag not your typical human um and she just can't see that. Just a normal girl. She's like, I'm so normal with all of my famous, 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 famous friends and family. Oh my god, it's the Dane syndrome again. She has yeah. Dane syndrome. I, she has Dane syndrome, but she also like has in like a very different way where Dane just showed up and instantly charmed everyone who was like even a little bit important whereas Allie was born into it mm-hmm. and you can see the difference because there is not a very long part in this book that's just about not feeling worthy yeah like yeah. she does know that she's like I mean she has a little bit of like oh everyone else in my life is like a legend and I'm just the one who like has fun but she never like well, also, I think it makes a difference that she's a noble, and she, like, yeah. she really knows that she's a noble. Oh, yeah, we'll yeah. talk about that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, language. Oh, one other thing. I don't yeah. know if you had a lot more things, but when she was talking about, like, like the coding stuff was super cool. When she was talking about, like, decoding, like, messages and knots, I just thought about Kipu, and that's all. That was very cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was good code content. Mm-hmm. Like, so many of the spy things in this book were just really, really fun to read. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, it's just very fun. At this time, we're going to transition into Social Justice Corner, where we're going to start with hashtag feminism and... You can't read that out on the podcast, it's a swear word. Yeah. (laughs) Queer stuff, parentheses, gala pals. Oh, that's good. (laughs) Nice. I think that's a pun that Amy made before she had read any of these books. <laughs> I made all of the puns. Yeah. I had never read a book. Except for Chromance. I'm late. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that one's a Kelly original. <laughs> I wish that I could lay claim to it, but unfortunate. Okay. So, I feel like there wasn't as much queer stuff as we could have had. There was one really good thing. Okay, yeah. please. I think it was a good thing. Okay, please. so do you remember when Dane and Numer had their baby? Yeah. 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 And their baby was doing some heck and switching, like, changing species, apparently switching all over the place. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so then Dane's godly, godly parents come down from the godly, godly place. <laughs> and um, uh, what's her name? Dane's mom. Sarah. Sarah tells the baby, like, okay... Right now, just for the moment, make a choice, but you get to choose. Like, you have to choose, like, species, like, your gender. But in five years, you can switch it up. And I just thought that was nice. Like, A of all, the baby got to choose. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And the baby doesn't have to, it doesn't assume that, like, that's something that's, like, static. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was and, nice. And I thought yeah. that was lovely. 
And I think it was definitely better in the context where it was not just like a gender thing. It was also physical form where sometimes the baby would be a horse or fish. (laughs) (laughs) I think this is not something that I'm really qualified to unpack at all. I do want to like bring up the fact that I think it's very common for, um, for trans characters and especially like non-binary characters to be shapeshifters. And like, this is a, an interesting example of that because we don't really see anything of the baby other than it shifts, they, they shift gender and also species, which is like, it's a fun comedic thing, but yeah, I don't know if it like plays into this larger trope. I would love to hear someone else who's more, has more knowledge talk about that. Oh, yeah, totally. Um, this is not really a queer thing, but especially because, like, Allie reads us pretty straight to me, but <laughs> so she did have yeah. one line in the context of making out that was about, like, how often had boys, like, side compliments at her while she mentally wrestled with breaking a new co- code. And I have to say, relatable. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I Like, I think Allie's straight. I mean, obviously, if you read her a different way, that's totally cool, but... I just enjoyed that line. It was a good line. Yeah, it's just she's so into her crow man that it's like very hard. <laughs> yeah, well, and she more than it, more most other Tamara Pierce protagonists, she also has like a long history of dating boys, partially because she's a little older, I think. Oh, okay. I guess in hashtag feminism, one thing that she kind of brings up, which gets a little bit overturned by her crow infatuation, um, <laughs> is like how she looks at romance and relationships pretty differently, at least from. Alana and different from a lot mm-hmm. of our models of like Tamara Pierce's female protagonists pretty much being in like super passionate serious relationships so it was kind of cool to see her show that and Tamara Pierce like very explicitly say like this is also an okay cool thing yeah no that she just mm-hmm. sort of casually dates and has fun with it and it's not like you know uh, like with Alana it was always sort of a very fraught sort of traumatic thing of like am I going to do romance or am I going to like pursue my dreams as a knight or whatever? And Allie just, you know, has some, has some flings. So that is nice. If we're doing hashtag feminism now, there were some nice lines in there about sort of um, Alana and like the precedent she set and stuff, Mm -hmm. which I I mean, I really liked seeing that like, you know, like Dove and Sarai like really look up to her and stuff. Mm -hmm. And that's really good. Um, It was frustrating. It was not out of character, I think, but it was frustrating that both George and Alana were like, not only you can't be a spy, but like, you are only girl can't be a spy. Yeah. Ugh. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's, I, I don't know, as parents, they could have done better. They could have. They need to walk the talk. It was interesting that they kind of like acknowledged too that they were being hypocritical about it like especially when George said like you know if she said she wanted to be a knight which was also a dangerous thing like he would have had to let her do it because you know Alana would have yelled at him but somehow they have a different perspective (laughs) on what's appropriate for a girl in terms of and they did partially apply imply that it's like not only that she's a girl but also that she's a noble and that um being a spy is like dishonorable in a way that being a knight is not Mm -hmm. and I was going to say, like, I think that there's also a built-in support system among the knights that where Alana and George know everyone. Mm. <laughs> That's true. That's true. Whereas spying is, like, enforced talking to strangers. Yeah, it, even if you can get killed on the battlefield as a knight, training to be a knight is a pretty safe thing to do. 
mm-hmm. in this world. Yeah, um, I mean, even though both George and Miles do spy work, they both do it from like a, a very much a higher level. And so they're not working in the field. And so, you know, they can have opinions about what actual spies spies do. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I'm sure that's all wrapped in like classism and things like mm-hmm. that. But. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, and that that was definitely that was the thing that was specifically shouted out with like Alana's okay with George doing spy stuff because he's not like the blood of True Bond or whatever, yeah. but Allie is, so it's like not acceptable for that reason. Um, I did. There was like, you know, the they were kind of hypocritical on this front, but there was some stuff that I liked about. Alana said something about, like, oh, it would have been nice if you wanted to be a knight, but the whole point of me doing what I did was that you could do something else if you wanted to, and I thought Mm -hmm. that was really nice. I feel like one of the advantages, like, one of the nice things about this book is that Allie had, like, enough distance from the past books that she could, like, comment on some of the things they did in Mm -hmm. a more critical way, Mm -hmm. including, like, some of, like, the gender dynamics of, like, the before time, um, (laughs) among other things. What do you remember particularly? Well, I feel like, so this is borderline going into, like, the more are talking about race section. But she was talking about how the way that people could get married, like, mm. if you were George Hollins and, like, if someone was the Bajir, like, there was still a lot of racism entrenched in this. Mm-hmm. Um, in a way that people in Tortal didn't acknowledge, but she was like, put your money where your mouth is. Yeah. Yeah, which um, I feel like... That's one of those things where we now have this. I mean, of course, this is something that should have been commented on in the earlier books, but now there's like this distance where Allie like can comment back on it and like kind of not fix, but <laughs> point out some of those things from the earlier books. Yeah, right. No, I mean, Allie is like extremely a white person and like oh, not yes. great at talking about racism generally but it's really really nice to see her acknowledge that Tortolans are racist exactly <laughs> <laughs> uh, I have yeah. one more feminism thing that I remember to bring up go for um, it before I move away which is one thing that I also thought was really cool is we've talked some before about like Tamora Pierce recognizing the value of like women also not fighting if they don't all want to be like knights and stuff Mm. like that and in this book I know that there's one point where the duchess says like I think right after like Dove and Sarai um like say like oh yeah we want to like learn sword fighting and shooting and she was like oh it must not seem strange to you Allie because you grew up in Tortle where I'm sure like every woman is like wielding a sword now and Allie says well actually no like a lot of them aren't (laughs) and that's also fine Mm mm-hmm No, and I think another nice thing about this book is it gave us, and, you know, this was one of the drawbacks of some of the earlier books within this um, kind of general realm, um, where it gave us a lot of, like, really strong, just diverse in a lot of different ways, like, female characters. Oh, so many! (laughs) Which was... a blessing. It was fantastic. So (laughs) some of them liked fighting, some of them liked needlework, some of them liked chess. Yeah. And so it, you know, it gives everyone like a character to like latch onto and empathize with, and it's good. So even if like Allie isn't your cup of tea, yeah, no, I thought that was like one of the really strong points to this book. Yeah, definitely. 
Also, I just wanted to bring up Dove. It reminds me so much of Amora of Dunlap. Oh my god, yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> As like the like sleeper sister. <laughs> I forgot that she was only 12. She's, so she's young. a child, but she's too mature. I mean, she's really mm-hmm. mature, but she keeps like eavesdropping. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> because she's 12. Yeah. So, yeah, that's what you do when you're 12. That's one of the two activities you can practice. Eavesdropping and being mature. But you know, she likes books, she likes strategy, mm-hmm. she likes people. Yeah, I. I this is kind of verging into race stuff again, maybe, but I really love the scene where um, they have the, the captured prisoners who, who like, tried to rob them, and Allie is like, well, the, the only way is to execute them. We're just going to have to execute them. And uh, Sarai is like, no, we can't execute them because they're, like, impoverished and we need to help them. And then um, Dove is the one who actually comes up with, like, here's what we can do to, like, make sure they won't be dangerous, but also not kill them or enslave them. And just a really good sister tag team there. Yeah, siblings. Mm -hmm. Siblings that we get to see interact is very valuable to me here. (laughs) Yeah, and they, like, have different strengths, but, like, similar ideals, and, like, it's great. It's really good. I love both of them so much. Sisters. (laughs) (laughs) They're a quality sister pair. Oh, they're so good. This is not feminism. I mean, it is. Uh, most things are feminism. But it's true. We're recognizing strong female relationships. Yeah. Totally. Though, oh my goodness, speaking of hashtag feminism, mm-hmm. um, what's his name? Prince Bruno, or however you say that. Bruno. <laughs> yeah, wow. Oh he God. is sure is a sexist pile of poop. Oh, oh my God. I hate yeah. him a lot. Oh, my God. I cannot. Sarai, what is with your taste? Mm-hmm. Oh also, like... Can we just talk about the fact that Mechowin and and um, Winamine like pulled Ali? I think it was either them or uh, Chenao who pulled Ali aside and were like, "Just so you know, when he asks you to speak <laughs> with him, you don't have to say yes. Yes, yeah. he's still invited here." Well, yeah, the fact that he was still invited there was not good, but the fact that I really liked the way that they respected their yeah. servants. And just the autonomy of, you know, the the women that worked in the household. I appreciate that. I think I'm commenting more on the fact that that is so standard that it is something that you have to, like, just say, you know, when he inevitably asks you to sleep with him. Well, right. And also, like, it's pretty clear that the, um, that Mequin and Winamine are, like, outliers in the fact that they will stand behind their servants if their servants don't want to sleep with a noble. Like, that's not throughout society. That's just them. Servants and slaves. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. We should, I mean, we'll get into the whole, like, good master narrative. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Maybe not this episode. (laughs) Yeah, I think that we just shouldn't, shouldn't erase the fact that, like, they also have slaves and- We've got to, like, even when they're doing something good, they have slaves. Yeah, it's good that they will stand behind their slaves when their slaves don't want to sleep with them, with someone. Maybe, maybe just, maybe not slaves would be better. Maybe no slaves, though. Maybe, maybe think about that. Next. Maybe not owning people. Maybe. They're so very tolerant of some of the things that he does. Yeah. Mm-hmm, uh, yes. And I think we'll talk about this more later, but yeah. I know it's political chess. I know it's political chess. But it's... Uh... I feel like they really talk about him like they like him, though. Despite yeah. the, him and his brother, despite the fact that it's mentioned 
that, well, despite one, that he's very sexist and sleeps with a lot of servants and slaves, and uh, two, that it's mentioned that the house that, that he and his brother are from is, like, known for being very cruel to their slaves. That's not a cool friend to hang out with. <laughs> yeah, not a cool friend. Yeah, and also, like, that friend goes to other houses, probably. Yeah. Who probably are not cool to their slaves. Yeah. And so... What do you think happens there, folks? Yeah. Bad stuff. Yeah. And they never push back against, like, his behavior to him. It's true. Yeah. Which, like, again, political chess or whatever. They talk about it to Ali, I think, and they do some amount of, like, trying to, like, supervise him around their daughter, but, like, that's not enough. <laughs> also, okay, I wasn't gonna let this die without bringing up the crow man again. Can we oh talk God. about this and Ali's relationship? So, like, for once, um, Ali is definitely... He's very respectful. He's very respectful. Ali is definitely, <laughs> like, calling the shots in this relationship. <laughs> that's true. It is, it's, it's a departure from previous, uh... Tamara Pierce romances in some Age way. appropriate, maybe. Probably. Maybe. <laughs> in like, in some kind of weird crow magic way, <laughs> she is age appropriate. He is respectful to her needs and also her boundaries. When she says, please don't give me those bugs, he says, okay, no bugs. Yeah, which is honestly better than any love interest we've had so far. It's true. I mean, there is still a bit of a dynamic. Like, she's obviously the one who knows about human romance and that type of thing. There is still a bit of a dynamic where she says, no, I can't do romance right now. And he says, okay, I'll keep trying, you know? Yeah, that's true. He's not, he's not a, he's not perfect. But he is different. <laughs> He's not perfect, yeah. but he is a crow. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, perfection, crow. God. We're going to talk about this crow so much. <laughs> okay, if you didn't want to talk about the crow, why did we read this book? <laughs> I signed up for this episode as soon as we made this podcast. So. <laughs> I really appreciate that you're here with me, Kelly. Oh yeah. Look, if you're if you're gonna disclose that you immediately signed up for this episode, I should disclose that I only hopped on this episode like a week ago. This was not my intention. <laughs> <laughs> I can see both of your points. Anyway, we can move away from the crow now, but I just wanted to bring that up because I thought it was different, especially from a lot of her other male leads who have been like there's been a pretty big power imbalance often between them and the female characters. I think it's a little bit more even here, maybe. Yeah. And always an age gap until she went full bird, which I think <laughs> is, you know, Oh, you know what? I, I wasn't going to bring this up in this section, but now I feel like I should shout out the fact that in Allie's narration, she is like, oh, Sarai can't date this man who's almost 20 years older than her. And <laughs> yeah, I was like, that hasn't yeah. really stopped you before, Tamara. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And like, with her relationship with Numer and Dane, too, like, does she not know how old Dane is? No, I mean, like, she knows. Like, like the age difference between Numer and Dane is under 20 years. It's not like a lot. It's on... probably 15 years, as has been established. But, um, really, Tamara Pierce. <laughs> Are we gonna draw the line? I mean, you you can certainly read that as like that's Allie's opinion and not Tamara Pierce's opinion, but uh, 
Yeah, I feel like, I mean, although their relationship is like a drastic improvement on the ones we've seen before, as you all pointed out, there are some things that are not great. The bird might be my favorite. No, 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 we can't do this right <laughs> I'm now. I'm sorry, no, we can. What are you going to say? The bird might be my favorite love interest so far. I mean, he does just like surprise kiss her a couple times, which I'm like not a huge fan of. Like, we all know that she's into him, but still. Yeah, that's not good. Yeah. She should have, she should sit the bird down and be like, bird, now that you're human, it's time we learn about consent. Yeah, I think there are also times when he's doing things that are courtshipy and she doesn't realize it, so she lets him. And I yeah. don't love that. Mm-hmm. However, he's, he just really, like, he does respect her space more than any of the other ones. And he is a bird. Yeah. God. <laughs> and he can catch arrows out of midair. <laughs> it's so cool. <laughs> That is a quality that he has. Get yourself a man who can catch arrows in midair. Oh my god. <laughs> I feel like we're all feminism now. My good listeners, we are going to stop talking and we're going to talk about letters. Okay, but yeah, we should we should say that we are going to talk about race next time. We're going to talk about it at <laughs> length. And class um, and the intersections thereof and feminism. Yep. And imperialism and colonialism. I feel like we praised Allie a lot in this episode. I do love Allie. There's gonna, I'm gonna say some stuff about her next time. Oh my gosh, some take backsies. Boy, 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 do I have thoughts. Not take backsies. People can be complex. Oh, wait, that's true. Okay, good point, good point. Um, and we're also gonna talk about crows again. Obviously. Well, yeah, we're gonna talk about crows more, too. It's gonna be the rest of the show, folks. Um... Anyway, but yeah, we've gotten a couple of letters since our last uh, episode where we read letters. Um, So I would like to firstly point out that all of the letters you have sent us are delightful. Mm -hmm. Um, And while we will not probably read all of them on the podcast today, we do love Mm -hmm. them all. Yeah, we really appreciate them. And we we do like read them all. Yeah, but um, Amy, go ahead. So this is a letter from Light. Uh, It's about the Realm of the Gods Part 2 episode. So it says, Gus mentioned flesh-eating unicorns, and Amy said it was like a horse, but eats meat and has a horn. I don't know if anyone has mentioned it, but horses are actually omnivores. Though they are mostly known for eating vegetation, horses are opportunistic eaters and will eat eggs, small bits of meat, and there is a slightly anecdotal tale of a horse eating a Russian officer during World War II. Times were tough. The (laughs) Russian officer probably was too. Just wanted to mention this as maybe the flesh-eating oh. unicorns had a carrion eat if there were no plants, and then evolved thusly. Thank you. That's very cursed. <laughs> exactly. That is how I feel. That's excellent good horse facts. I love it very much, and I really appreciate it when people send us animal facts. I learned mm. similar things this past weekend when I was learning how to catch birds, which is also, that cows will also, like, eat birds, and so will deer also, like, because they'll just sometimes, maybe on purpose, like, mm, tasty protein snack, but maybe also they're just like, hmm, could I eat this? And they're like, chew, chew, nope. Just like humans. <laughs> chew, chew, nope. Wow. Learn so much about the animal world. <laughs> so that was a biology fact. Are you guys interested in chemistry as it relates to Dane again? Yeah. Um, yeah. Okay, this is a letter from Hannah. Uh, 
Hello, tortellinis, unless I am the tortellini, in which case, just hello. Jury's out on that one. <laughs> <laughs> we have no answers here. Okay, so Hannah is a chemist, so she wrote us a letter about how cold water and salt water are supposedly renewing for magic in uh, wild magic. Yes, thank you. So, mm-hmm. And she's put together some theories about why this might be. Theor- so I'm going to start reading the email now. Theory one, cold water has less kinetic energy, which means it is closer structurally to the crystal structure that is ice, more ordered. Salt also comes in crystals. Crystal structure? Sure. Hole in this theory, salt dissolved in water is like not crystalline. It's broken up into its component ions. It actually disrupts the formation of the crystal structure of water. So this theory is very hand wavy. Advantages of this theory, it does contain the word crystal. Magic. Crystals. (laughs) Got it. Crystals seem really magical. They really are. Okay. Theory two, which is the second of two theories. Theory two, there's a thing called freezing point depression. Usually water freezes at a pretty exact temperature, but water that has a solute, something dissolved in it, can get way colder before it freezes. That's why you salt the roads in the winter. So maybe it's not salty water that helps magic, it's just cold water, and the fact that there's salt in it just helps it be colder while still being liquid. Holes in this theory, Numer, Magic Man, Salmelin, probably would be exact (laughs) on this point and not conflate the two issues of salty water and cold water. Mm. Advantages of this theory, feels good feels organic it's a small thing that it's possible for for a medieval society society to overlook and it's pretty good science okay i just want to ask do you think that tomorrow Pierce knows about cold like depression <laughs> it's impossible to know what people know God. i feel like she knows some science facts that she uses in her books sometimes <laughs> but i like these theories very much yeah. yeah, they're good. Our listeners are so smart. They really are. So smart. <laughs> you guys are smart. On that note, um, we have uh, kind of fallen off the wagon of doing a list of like thank yous at the end of each episode for everyone who interacts with us on social media. But this said, we wanted to let you know that we really, really love reading all of the things that you send us and interacting with you on Twitter, Tumblr, email, etc. Um, so we just wanted to let you know that we really appreciate it um and that you are all wonderful humans they really are yeah thank you so much for interacting us if you ever have and thank you so much for listening if you've never interacted with us thanks yeah and if you Mm -hmm. want to interact with us there are a few ways to do that Uh the emails that we received went to a little account called tortorecall at gmail.com We've gotten some tweets at Tordal Recall. I believe we referenced one earlier, which was a beautiful drawing by Kelly. (laughs) (laughs) So you're just promoting your own tweets now? Um, uh, And we also have a Tumblr, totalrecall.tumblr.com. Those are three ways that you can get into contact with us. They are the recommended ones. You can also, according to Grace, just yell. Oh, right. And we'll probably maybe hear you. It's been a while since that one. Yeah, if you yell, we will hear you. (laughs) <laughs> much like Kiprioth, we will secretly be there. <laughs> yeah, we can't ourselves to gods. Or can we? <laughs> oh, Christ. Alright, well, on that note, our music is Green Sleeves by Zeta. Oh, I feel like we should sh- we haven't mentioned this on the podcast for a while, as far as I know, so I feel like we should mention the fact that uh, we're constantly working on getting transcripts up. We don't have a ton of them up so far, but everything that uh, every transcript that we have finished is on our website, uh, tortorecall.com. There's a ta- uh, page for transcripts. 
um, and you should check those out. And uh, we are we are constantly working on more, and we are doing that with the money from our Patreon, which is Patreon.com/TordalRecall. And um, thank you so much to the people who are supporting us there and helping us make our podcast more accessible, because that's really important. Thank you. I think, my friends, it's time to depart this episode. episode. I'll miss you. Wait, who's going to do the sign-off? Someone do the sign-off. Kelly? (laughs) Kelly? (laughs) Okay. See you later, (laughs) Tortellini. Oh, that was beautiful. It sounds like a parrot was making you take a picture. (laughs) There's, yep, there's some swords, there's a cat, there's a very small person, I don't know who that is. Or who... What that is? Oh, oh, is that a pygmy marmoset, maybe? Yeah, it's a pygmy marmoset. <laughs> That's really good. There's so many animals. And then there's just oh, a baby with the a crow. Bird, the bird next to the girl on the right is wearing a wizard hat. That's Numer. Oh my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> I love looking at this with context. God, it's You're so good. <laughs> Solid. Two girls with swords and two girls with birds. <laughs> <laughs> That's like the best summary of the tour up here. <laughs>